Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here joined in the studio with Mike and Peter as we will be recording today an episode on This is Water. Uh, this is Water is a commencement address that was given by David Foster Wallace at Kenyon College in 2005, May 21st of 2005. And some of you may be a little bit familiar with David Foster Wallace from a different episode we did, which I believe, if I looked at it before, was episode 22, if that is correct. I can look that up real quick. On his essay, Consider the Lobster, which we talked about. You're um, right. Thank you. From an ethics perspective, uh, th- this is water. Is a it's a the transcript the transcript of the speech I use um, at the beginning of the semester in my ethics class, and it's also uh, an extended version of it was published as a short book by um, by Wallace as well. Um, David Foster Wallace. Just some background for those of you who may not be that familiar with him. Um, he lived from 1962 to 2008. Um, unfortunately, in 2008, he took his own life. Um, he had struggled with depression throughout his life, and they had switched up the meds he had been on for quite some time, and uh, he had a long struggle after that. And uh, and so, unfortunately, he took his life September 12, 2008. But he was the son of a philosophy professor and uh, an English professor. Now, his father was a philosophy professor. His mother was an English professor. And uh, he himself uh, was very educated and had studied a lot of philosophy and then became a rather accomplished author. Um, He wrote pieces for things like Harper's, um, I believe The Atlantic, um, The Consider the Lobster was in Gourmet magazine. Um, And then his his big kind of intro to America was his novel, Infinite Jest, which is about a thousand pages with a ton of footnotes. Um, But it by some considered to be kind of a, a postmodern novel. I think in some ways, though, if you read it, it's a commentary on postmodernism as well. you got to be willing to put it's the an, time in. I think in. that that is a requirement to be considered postmodern. I think so. It has so. to be yeah. a, a commentary on postmodernism. And it's uh, I'm working my way through it for the uh, second time now. And uh, a worthwhile read if you're willing to put the, the time in. But This is Water is kind of a... He's invited to give this commencement speech, and he's trying to not do the normal, just you're all going to be president and cure cancer type thing. And uh, there's also a video of this, uh, well, audio of it you can listen to on YouTube. Um, Mike and Peter already mentioned it's kind of interesting to listen to because the audience laughs at like all the wrong spots um, as they're not sure what quite is coming. So that's what we will be talking about today. And uh, Peter, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us our disclaimer then? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy bit of skepticism, because as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live freely, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
And we're back with the free-for-all where we wrestle with life's pressing questions and try to answer them once and for all. This is episode 100. I don't know if we mentioned that, so if you're looking for the show notes, you can find it. Congratulations to us. Absolutely. Um, We have a big celebration plan. It should be episode 101, but we tried to delay so that we could get all four of us here. And then yet, where's Ben? Ben's not here. He's out. You know. Find an excuse. I have a bunch of bees now that uh, are going to die because they didn't come, too. That's right. That was the threat that Wade laid down. If Ben didn't come, he was going to bury a bunch of bees. How do you hold Just bees hostage? That's, <laughs> it's not easy, Mike. Difficult. It's not easy. I was going to say, like, herding cats, maybe. Yeah. We should change the herding cats to holding bees hostage. When you're like, the kids are running <laughs> wild, you're like, it's like holding bees hostage. Although I do <laughs> you think, know what I'm talking about. Can't you just about? put bees in a container, though? Isn't that pretty standard? How are you going to do that? How easy is that? I don't, don't know. All don't I know is when they're swarming, I'm terrified. Like, they're going to sting every bit of me. I just, like, that just terrifies yeah. me when they're swarming. You know what really stings well, though? Wasps. Wasps. Yeah. Yeah, they come back for seconds. They sting with so a purpose, the yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, we're going to do our free-for-all here today. Well, we didn't mention, actually, in our introduction, we are a member of the 1517 Podcast Network. You can find all of our podcasts, all of those podcasts at 1517.org slash podcasts. Um, do either of you have something specific you wanted to shout out for on, on that? Otherwise, just go check what was, them out. What was Mattis's new book that came out? That Was was that published by 1517? I don't remember the title. Uh, Law but and Gospel. Like, it's kind of Law and Gospel in Action, I think. Yeah. Gospel in Action. Kind of a, not a primer, but uh, kind of the foundations for ethics, I think, is a subtitle. So I have, have it, but have not yet worked through it. Yeah, I'll so. try to remember to throw that throw a link to that in the show notes. So go check that and out. And then Dan Van Voris's new Daily, like five minute oh, thing. Yeah. Christian History Almanac is uh, is out now too. Yep. It started today. Yeah, no. So go check them out. Check out the podcast. Check out the other stuff that fifteen seventeen is doing. Um, I don't know if they have you heard yet. Has the um, here we still stand filled up yet? I know they only had a. Oh, there's still seat. yeah. I think there are still tickets available for that, and uh, I'll have to look up the discount yeah. code, and we can put that up on P- the show. Oh yeah, net nineteen. So if you go nice. there and. Put in a discount code PNET19. You can save $25 thanks to uh, Let the Bird Fly. So, But let's get on to our free-for-all. I, I was looking up holding one. bees hostage to see what I could find. And <laughs> how, how this could there's happen. There's nothing out there, yeah. <laughs> so since it's our 100th episode, um, and it should be our 101st, but we, we waited for Ben, and now Ben's not here, um, we decided we're going we're gonna to ask a question. What, what place would you most like to record an episode of the podcast? So you know, if you have your, have your choice, any place in the world, where would you want to go? Wade, why don't you start us off? Well, my answer would be it wouldn't matter where, so long as it was with you guys. Wow. We're holding hands right now, if you can see. <laughs> yeah. No, I think a, a... It doesn't really communicate across the podcast, but, you know, uh, the hand-holding is a nice gesture here. I think if I could uh, if I could pick a place, I would say um, Home Plate at Comerica Park. I think that'd be be pretty cool. Like circled around Home Plate? We'd or get would some, all like, be like... Uh, some Coney Dogs. Um, have those down there, maybe uh, swing by Greek Town, get some euros, have a little buffet for ourselves, and uh, <laughs> uh, maybe some Stroh's beer just to capture old Detroit. Um, home plate, Comerica Park with maybe some uh, some Kid Rock music as the intro. <laughs> so that would be my pick. Always this kid comes back to Kid Rock with you, doesn't it? Yep. Not bad, Mike. What would you do? Um, I'm trying to think Anything of... Anything as classy what, as Comerica Park what, with Euros and Stroh's beer? What the capital of Albania is. is what <laughs> that's going to go. But that, I don't have that on my... So I have to look I that up. I bet Ben would know. I'll Google it for you so you can talk, Mike. Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> so, Peter, go ahead. Tirana? If you say so. I don't know how, if that's the correct 
pronunciation or not. So. We could have our Albanian listeners there. Let us Shout out to them. We could, um, yeah, good. Yeah, Tirana. Whatever uh, Albanian beer we would have. So there. whoever we we do have a, a lot of listeners in Albania, and maybe people are somehow getting it through there using something else to have that be the location. But like our Albanian listeners, Albanian if you are listening in Albania, yeah. um, shoot us an email and let us know where in Albania would be the best place for us to like a to cafe and a maybe not maybe it's not even the capital because we a better we place. will try to raise the funds and we will come over Get and there, uh, yeah. and then what beer should we drink. Whatever they recommend. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what they should tell us. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were asking. No, me. no, that's you were looking I'm saying. At they, me. Our listeners should tell us. So. All right. So if is that, I is that a beer country or a wine country? Well, I'm, I'm sure it's wine, right? Sort of I would think the Adriatic maybe from yeah. Italy, but they got to have beer too. Croatia's beer, Croatia, and wine, yeah. and Serbia's got good beer. Yeah, everyone has good beer, right? Yeah. Speaking of good beer, if I had one place I could go, I would pick all the world: West Dallas, Wisconsin, Benos. I go to Pedos and record there. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's a it's a little you know kind of hole in the wall bar. Go there and sometimes we get a burger and a beer and you know just pretty. It's not not an over. It's not an extra loud bar, so you no, can sit there, especially the, with our I headsets. I think the listeners now. would enjoy the background. Yeah. And so. West Dallas, I, even if you don't know West Dallas, a lot of people know Alice Chalmers or Chom Chalmers Chalmers that they did a uh, tractors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Also known as Stalis or the Dirty. Yeah, cool and, the, and the inhabitants, since it's known as Stalis, are called Stallions, yeah. right? You so. know, my wife actually works in the Chalmers building. That's where that's where their office is. So, or yeah, used I'm, to be. What do you mean? That's where Trisha's office is. Oh. My wife. Yeah. <laughs> not uh, Chalmers the company isn't like building is tractors not next the, door. Not no. the company that doesn't She's in a cubicle anymore. doing accounting in there, yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you're not familiar with West Dallas, you should come to Milwaukee and, and, uh, and go and enjoy uh, the... The West Dallas Fair and find yourself on Greenfield Avenue. Go to Benno's. That's, I mean, it's where might, we're going after this to celebrate the uh, the hundredth episode. Yeah, I believe Ben's going to meet us there. I think so. So I think the thing, what we have to do to round it out now is, where would Ben pick? We have to let's each of us try to come up with what we think Ben would say. Maybe like next to a beehive that he's afraid Wade might attack. <laughs> Just as like its protector. Because yeah. bees are pretty weak. They need protectors, not like other insects that I know. I'm trying to think what, what else he would say. I would say, like, maybe, like, oh, wait, no, his ben, basement. Ben, I was going to say, Ben doesn't, doesn't like, like traveling. Because he doesn't like to go a lot of places. <laughs> so. So. <laughs> so maybe Ben's basement. We we did record an episode in his kitchen. Maybe he would yeah. say, that was my favorite episode ever. Maybe his backyard, yeah. if it's warm out. We've never done his backyard. Maybe we should do that. Uh, I'm guessing it would be somewhere... Very close to where he normally is. Yep. I agree. I think that's a, I think that's a safe bet. Mike, what do you think? Maybe if Ben listens to this episode. I don't think he listens to the episode anymore. Say, if you do listen, Ben, send us an email and let us know. You can email us at podcast.letthebirdfly.com. <laughs> yeah, the same as our Albanian friends. <laughs> right. um, let us know what is the, the best beer at your house. Um, you know, maybe there's like a Ben's House regional beer that we can enjoy. It's good. you know what's really great is getting to know our listeners on a personal basis like this, like so we can yeah. kind of talk to them and know what they're doing. So you know, Ben, shout out to you, <laughs> favorite listener after Bella. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got anything else? Those weren't very exciting locations. I thought we'd have something better than that. I was excited about mine. It was okay.
that brings us to our main topic and with this being our 100th episode we're going to keep this one hopefully on track and uh not go over time after 100 episodes we should be able to do that once what do you guys think i doubt it <laughs> well we'll see how we do um i just am just going to briefly introduce the uh the what we're discussing and then peter's going to read the beginning i will say if you're looking this essay up or if you're going to uh listen on youtube there's a couple uh naughty words in there so be forewarned but it's not like filthy it's or not egregious but you know if you have if you're listening with kids just know yeah, so be aware. And, and Peter's going to say H-E double hockey stick when he reads the first paragraph. So why don't you say it like that, Peter, if okay. you remember. And then uh, <laughs> uh, we won't offend anybody, hopefully. But uh, so this is given at Kenyon College, which is a um, liberal arts college. And so he's speaking to students about their liberal arts education. Um, so they've gone to a, a good co- college, good reputation. They've got their liberal arts education. And he's going to talk about what that means now as they go out into the world. And so there's elements of the typical commencement address, uh, but I would say it's not all um, the typical stuff of you're going to go out and you're going to be great and all that, but rather I think uh, how the liberal arts education impacts daily life. Is that fair to say, gentlemen? And so we'll kind of keep that in mind as we go, but I think maybe if – Peter can read the parable at the beginning to get us started. It'll give you a sense of where he goes from there. Yeah, David Foster Wallace says that this is uh, the deployment of a didactic little parable-ish story, and that's kind of what it is. He says, there are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks at the other and goes, what the H-E double hockey sticks is water? Hence the title of of the talk, this is water. And he doesn't spend a lot of time dwelling on this parable, um, but he starts off this way. And if you kind of couch the whole discussion within this, you really understand kind of what he's, what he's getting at. So I won't, I won't go too much farther into it, but that's where he starts. So I thought it was good to maybe start by just reading that. Yeah. And so I think um, one of the things he goes on to say, he points out that uh, he says, let's talk about the single most pervasive cliche in the commencement speech genre, which is that a liberal liberal arts education is not so much about filling you up with knowledge as it is about, quote, teaching you how to think. Um, And he's going to kind of joke about, well, you wouldn't have got in here if you don't know how to think. But then he is going to go on and and somewhat tell them about how to think. And largely how he's going to address how they think is going to be in the everyday uh, kind of life experience type settings of things they encounter and the various ways they can choose to see them. Um, Wallace, it's really hard to answer, was Wallace a Christian? Um, He joked that he flunked out of a catechesis in the Catholic Church twice. Um, It appears he was interested in his his adult life in Christianity. Um, He used to like to go to the local Baptist church for their, um, they had a weekly like dance thing where they would dance to like 80s music. And so he would would like to go and kind of rock out to that. But I would say uh, Wallace's writings aren't explicitly Christian, and this won't be explicitly Christian, although he will touch on things like worship. Uh, but maybe, Mike, uh, you've been quiet so far other than your be hostage thing. Uh, maybe if we can throw it to you first, what was uh, some of your initial impressions of this, the, the address, some takeaways you had? Yeah, it wasn't just uh, how to think, but his point is you need to be aware about what to think about. And he, he definitely had this not necessarily a, a free will thing, and we're not going to go. I mean, that we're not talking about 
free will debates within the within Christianity there, but um, in everyday life, you do get to choose how to think about these things instead of, and here is where he's actually, I, I think, becomes very close to Christian dogma, like a lot of, I think, fairly thoughtful, for lack of a better term, postmodern thinkers, is they understand the default position of humanity is self-centeredness, <coughs> right? So he uses all these examples about day-to-day -day life, that it can be annoying, it can be frustrating, all these kinds of things. And he says, you can choose to just assume everybody's in your way and this is awful. And, and that's just your default position to, to be about yourself. And he's not saying, oh, you're terrible people because, because you are like that. Although I think he maybe would come to the conclusion about himself and everybody else. It's just, that's just the way it is. If I see something, it's through my eyes. If I encounter something, it's in my space. And um, to be able to choose to think about the person who maybe is in your way, to say maybe that person is in my way because they have actually something more important going on than me. Maybe I'm the one in their way. So that's, that's just one. He's, he's setting up something larger, but um, I thought that was pretty thoughtful. He said it in a very normal way, not, not trying to be too, too profound, and yet he was, right? And this is what Peter and I were talking about beforehand is um, where some of the crowd started to laugh and, and maybe even cheer when he was criticizing them and everybody, right? And I wonder well, if he... Well, to be fair himself, right? Yeah, I mean, like himself, he does not... He's, he's not being uh, self-aware there. Yeah, excluding himself from this criticism. And there was a lot of things going on there like I can't he says I can't I'm so self-absorbed and I have this inner monologue going on in my head you know whether it's thoughtful or not and I can't really know anybody else unless I'm aware of them I have to have some sort of connection kind of thing he says it in a better way and I thought that was pretty thoughtful as well even though it's very simple that I need to, if I need to know you, I have to not just see you in my way or see you through my lens, but I need to get to know you. I need to, I need to maybe even talk to you. He doesn't go that far, but th there are some implications there of if I have a well-rounded education, I probably have a better opportunity of seeing other people and how they see the world. And that helps me with, and he uses this word a couple of times, um, that helps me with my arrogance. Maybe, maybe uh, um, a liberal arts education at its best makes me just a little less arrogant. I thought it was a pretty thoughtful thing. There's more, but I'll let you guys. Yeah, and he has, I think one of the things he gets to somewhat early on, um, that he says, here's just one example of the total wrongness of something I tend to be automatically sure of. Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe the realest, most vivid, and important person in existence. Um, and I think that gets at that, the arrogance uh, that comes with that. But he's also going to bring out the aloneness that comes with that too, the loneliness that um, it can lead to when I become self-consumed and I am at the center of everything that, that really cuts me off from others. And, and those who have read a lot of Wallace's work um, know that loneliness is just a theme that comes up again and again. Um, and infinite jest, especially um, this idea of uh, the lack of connectedness that comes with uh, 
the technology already in his own day, um, how he can easily be captivated by devices or entertainment um, or ourselves, and thus inwardly turned, not outwardly turned. And so uh, I would say that, that arrogance or self-absorption and then uh, aloneness or loneliness that can come with it. Peter, you look like you were yeah, about to say something. Right, I, I had that section you just read underlined and bracket around it and everything. So he says right after that, he goes, "This is it's pretty much the same for all of us, right? So he's talking about this kind of self-centeredness. But then he explains that this is just our default hardwired position. This is just where we find ourselves. And uh, then he just, it's kind of powerful. He says, just think about it. There's no experience you have had that you are not the absolute center of. The world as you experience it is in front of you or behind you to the right or left of you, on your TV, on your monitor, and so on. And that's the, the way he just drives that. He says, but this is where we find ourselves. And as I understood him then, part of becoming educated in the liberal arts tradition, at least, is, is pulling yourself away from that self-centeredness and giving yourself a little bit of a, of a window into the world outside of that, and some, some way to become almost eccentric in the literal sense, outside of the center, right? You are always going to be the center. We can't help that. It's going to be. It's it's going to be kind of always pulling us back in. That's the loneliness. That's the sadness. I think that that we find ourselves in. This is you know for for Lutherans we would say this is the where the the sinner kind of keeps rearing his ugly head, yep. right? I mean we just we kind of keep getting pulled back into that. We can't fully escape that. That's not it. But that through uh, through a, a liberal arts education or through education in general, we've got we were able to step outside and peer back. Um, in a way, you know, look at the look at the person in the mirror and realize the person in the mirror is looking back at you. Um, it's frightening. It's terrifying. Um, and uh, I think he gets to he he kind of hits on this this theme over and over again and really kind of drives it home that this is this is the battle that we have. This is the struggle that we have in front of us. And most people, and here's the real crux of it. I think most people don't even recognize it as a struggle. They see it as this is they don't they don't see themselves as being self-centered in this way and so they don't look for a way to get outside of that center they just accept it it's just the way it is and that is what is water right yeah what what the hell is water right it's all around H-E us. This is all, yeah, hockey sorry this is this is all around us this is what we're you know what we just deal with and so and i think along those lines too um he gets at one of the dangers of an academic education right after that he says Probably the most dangerous thing about an academic education, at least in my own case, and this is very true in his own life, is that it enables my tendency to over-intellectualize stuff, to get lost in abstract argument inside my head, instead of simply paying attention to what is going on right in front of me, paying attention to what is going on inside me. And I think that is getting at that of um, the temptation then, if you have this kind of self-absorption and arrogance and loneliness, and then you add education to it, the danger can become uh, that now I over-intellectualize every experience. Um, And so he's going to get at the danger of living in your head um, and not being able to kind of step out of yourself, step out of your own thinking, um, and to experience life as it is. And so I think we all know the temptation, um, and and Wallace is good on this and other stuff too, like we always want to create narratives and so everything has to fit into our narrative and everything then fits into um, our story, how we understand stuff. And so we make everything abstract. And, and, and that's something that's come up in a lot of our episodes, that people aren't abstract ab- abstractions. I'm sorry, I can't talk today. Um, but to be able to, to step out of that 
um, everything is a concept and actually to be engaged with the things around you. Uh, Wallace uh, kind of famously didn't have a TV in his own house. And so if he ever wanted to watch TV, he'd call a friend and say, hey, are you watching something? <laughs> and then he would go over and end up watching TV for hours. Um, but one of the, the things that he that scared him about that, that he didn't want to have a TV in his own house, is that you, you escaped from your own story in your head by getting sucked into another story that wasn't any more real, right? Instead of actually having to engage in in life with with people. And so I think that's uh, something he, uh, he brings out. And so he says in the next paragraph, because if you cannot exercise this kind of choice in adult life, you will be totally hosed. Think of the old cliche about the quote, um, about quote, the mind being an excellent servant, but a terrible master. Um, and I think that gets at uh, to get lost in your own head can be a, a dangerous thing as well. And so, and I, I like that image, Peter, of looking in the mirror and someone is looking back. And I think a really fascinating episode would be um, mirrors and um, photography now and our own conception of ourselves, you know, in the modern world, being able to see yourself besides going to a pond and seeing a reflection. Uh, but the danger of... I know, just think what narcissists would do, to, would do today. Yeah, um, but the danger of not being able to think about yourself and others in a not purely self-absorbed or even just academic manner. Mike, what do you got? Well, um, I think we should wait a little bit and <laughs> end with the whole concept of worship. I think we would have... Oh, yeah, no, I think that's, we'll, that's we'll, a section we'll that is yeah. especially... Um, I just thinking of like, why, why, why do you use this in your class? Why do we seem attractive to this kinds of, these kinds of thoughts? And I think a lot of our, let's say our contemporary poets, um, are, it's so important to know them. And very often from a Christian right view, um, more than just that he said the S word or the H E double, uh, hockey sticks there, there are some things there that wouldn't be in our worldview. So like, he's like I, kind of wishy-washy on as if there's an absolute morality, that kind of stuff. Right. And, and we, it's funny because sometimes he sounds like he is almost speaking of yeah. an absolute truth, but well, then he he'll says, say it doesn't have to be capital T truth. I mean, but he does say it. This is the capital T, T truth, but he means something different, obviously, right? right? right. He's not saying it. So, and we'll talk, we'll get to that when we go yeah, to When he yeah. says capital T, the only capital T truth is that you get to choose mm -hmm. whatever, you know, and so red flags will often are, but however, uh, I think, and poets and artists, to at least our good poets and artists tend to do this. They tend to ask all the right questions, and there's a lot of value in that. And I think why we're probably attracted to it, and, and Wade attracted to him and using him in his in, in your ethics classes, he does talk about things that are very, let's say, Christian, Lutheran, even if it's not in those terms. So he's talking about total depravity here, right? This is our default position, original sin. He's talking about the arrogance of us all. Or he's at least he's saying things that resonate with that, that, yeah. that resonate with us that we can, it's a jumping off point to say, okay, now think about how, what St. Paul would say about this, um, being turned inward instead of turned outward, um, living, you know, kind of, a, a above the world instead of in the world. Um, there, there's some grittiness there. These are all themes that you can tell there's a person, whether he finally found rest with God or, or not, and his medicine being, messed up at the end, you know, we're not going to go there, but asking all the right questions and you hope that he would have found, and he was going to be restless until he found rest in the Lord. Right. And these are the contemporary questions that a thoughtful postmodern poet, if we want to give him that, that label 
or a poet at least in postmodernity, that they ask a lot of the right questions. And, and there, there's a lot of points of contact there with the Christian church. I, I get frustrated when somebody just says, well, it's just postmodernity and it'll just, you know, no, wait, hold on now. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in there and, and they're brave enough to ask some of the right questions. At least some of them are. Now, some of the conclusions, of course, you know, like of Derrida and stuff like that. No, we're not. Obviously, there, there's an agenda there, especially with Derrida, and there can be some things that are wrong. Uh, but these are conversations that you can Mike have. I think likes Derrida. You know, I actually, he was one of my favorite reads of that. Uh, and he's yes, thoughtful. Foucault was I on the think wall there's, looking down on I know. Like, but I think there's a, he was good too. Uh, I think there was an agenda with Derrida. We, we'll maybe should do an episode on yeah. Derrida. Who is, today, uh, who is Foucault hanging over, by the way? <laughs> you see my shirt? Same person that's like your shirt. is Karl Marx. But anyway, I, when we read this, you, the, us in this group, I think we're attracted to it because of these themes that he brings out are things that we think about from a theological point of view. Right. I would actually, I mean, I would agree. I think that the, that postmodernism, whatever the heck that means. Right. I mean, that's such an obscure label anyway. And it's, it's kind of funny because almost everyone who we would call postmodern bristles at that. Right. And, you know, and, and he would too, I'm sure. Absolutely, right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, but in a way that kind of is, you know, thinking like, Oh yeah, clearly you're postmodern, right? You're, you don't like that, that label. So <laughs> right. But I, I would argue that postmodernism in its best forms asks all the right questions. Right. I mean, the yeah, questions yeah. that they're asking are just fantastic. Very and similar what, to existentialists who exactly. asked a lot of the good questions. Which I would say yeah. is the, the grandfathered postmodernism, right? right? But, uh, yeah. We've got, in, in postmodernism, we ask these questions, these tough questions, and the answers are not satisfactory to us oftentimes, I think, as, as uh, Lutherans or Christians in general, um, but not always unsatisfactory either. I mean, some, sometimes we can say, no, there's some, there's some truth there. There's, this is actually helpful. One of the things that Derrida talks about is this ever-receding horizon, right? That, that you never actually get to the horizon. We always move forward. It's this idea that we keep moving forward, that everything keeps moving back, and that's just the way it is. Well, that's the infinity, right? That's the, the infinite, excuse me. And that's horrifying. It's, it's terrifying. Well, it doesn't take a whole lot to kind of understand how you can embrace that. And you spin right back into, into Nietzsche and you can say, okay, these are like, you're right. This is what you have. So now what, you know, what's, the, what's the answer to this? How do we make something you know, concrete, um, give ourselves some true hope? And you know, we, have, we have all kinds of theological answers to that. Well, and I think that's where some of these authors can be very helpful because um, sometimes we think, well, I don't agree with everybody's conclusions on something, but sometimes someone is a pretty darn good diagnostician and, um, you know, the first step towards dealing with things sometimes is recognizing the problems and I think uh, authors like Wallace can be very helpful for us understanding some of the the problems and and diagnosing that. Um, He gets into... And I, I think this is an important section because it's something very helpful for Christians as well. Um, and especially as we talk about vocation so much and how daily life can be a grind and it just often is a grind. And I mean, this week has been a grind. Um, and uh, But it gets at... Um, and Wade was cranky this week for our listeners. So yeah, Mike was, came yeah. in the one day and I just said... Uh, just know I'm in a bad mood, whatever I say. <laughs> but um, so I just hung around for a while. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Get some popcorn. <laughs> the uh, but he talks about uh, how he says how to keep from going through your comfortable, prosperous, respectable adult life, dead, unconscious, a slave to your head and to your natural default setting, 
of being uniquely, completely, and purely alone day in and day out. And I thought there of a, a Nietzsche's great line about the bloodless bourgeois um, bureaucrat, um, kind of, you know, the guy who goes to his cubicle, but um, well, first he goes in his garage, and he's really happy he has heated seats in his, you know, uh, I don't know, Acura something or Subaru, and then he goes to work, and then he goes in his cubicle, cubicle and he's really happy, like, He's allowed to play his Spotify on low volume, and then he works his day, and then he gets back in his car with his, you know, heated seats, and he's thankful for that, and he makes his half-hour commute home, and then he has his, you know, I don't know, whatever your bloodless bourgeois bureaucrat has for dinner, and then he pulls up his Netflix, and he's happy for that, but he doesn't stay up too late because he's got work the next day, and then he just goes through it again and again and again, that kind of default, but he says, uh... So how do we do this without being dead, unconscious, and a slave to your head? And then he goes on to say, you graduating seniors do not yet have any clue what day out, day in and day out really means. And he has a rather humorous... At that point, a bunch of the parents <laughs> laugh. Yeah. <laughs> that was appropriate. Yes, laugh. that was appropriate. Yeah, and he has this kind of funny extended section about, um, you know, you go shopping and people have their carts in the way and you happen to pick the one cart that has the shaking wheel that pulls to the left and they're playing you know, Muzak in the store, and then there's a big line to check out, and the cashier, you know, kind of looks dead-eyed and tired, and everybody's cranky in the line, and, you know, you got to get your groceries before you go home. But he, he goes on in a helpful way, and he talks about being in traffic as well, and he, he does have a good line there about um, the uh, the biggest, most obnoxious drive, drivers in SUVs, you know, having Christian bumper stickers, and <laughs> um, which is, I think, somewhat true. But um, but the idea of there's just things we go through the motions of, um, and we can kind of get dead to life, and it's one of those sections I read and I go, man, that's a good end to talk about vocation, and mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons this address is helpful for the semester as we go through. Um, but uh, he says, what if you step back and consider the the person ahead of you in line who's having a terrible day and the kids acting up and the cashier and the person who cuts you off, maybe they have a sick kid and they're just trying to get to the hospital. And maybe that person has that gas-guzzling SUV because they've been in a bad wreck and their therapist has all but commanded them to get a car that they can feel safe in. And so he gets to this section about how do we do daily life in an educated or a thoughtful way. And I guess I'll see anything you guys had on that section. Yeah, and I think this is his distinction, as we said before, about not just learning how to think, but choosing what to think about, right? Which is, which is, as he said, learning how to think is shorthand for a lot of different things. And something I've been thinking a lot about is there's all these phrases out there that, and he points this out, they're cliches, and they're boring, and they're kind of throwaway phrases, but almost all of them are shorthand for something else. Right. And when we don't, we just kind of go through and he doesn't make this point, but I think it's similar. We go through life with these kind of cliches and you could see that how it's similar to I would see this gas guzzling SUV. And the cliche is that is a Republican um, right wing uh, person who hates the environment and judges everybody, right? Which I'm guessing at Kenyon College is not a very a popular type of person. Right. And in so, 2005. Yeah, so everybody was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he has to stop and say, no, this is an example of how not to think, right? Right, and we would say it as, this is your neighbor. Right. And so the, the, it, learning how to think 
is shorthand for a lot of different things. Learning how to think, having some some knowledge, and that's not the primary thing, but having knowledge to be able to see the world through other people's eyes, but also choosing what to think. Instead of choosing to think that this person is A, I can choose a different option to say, hey, it may be A, B, or C. And maybe that person that is in my way, and I think about this all the time when I'm driving, I'm like, don't these people understand who I am, right? Why are they, why are they in my way? I have, I'm so lady. important. Um, that maybe those people actually are quite a bit more important than me or have something more urgent or have suffered more than I have. Or they're just like going to Arby's. Or they're going to Arby's and I am right that they're in my way. But uh, it's a lot of this in theological is about self-justification, right? I, I use this example when I teach about vocation in uh, Bible classes and churches and um, how this leads to a, a, a faulty understanding of the value of not just people's jobs, but then the value of those people as well. So I'm driving in the car and um, uh, someone's driving slow in the fast lane and, I, and I'm like, must be nice just to have a leisurely drive on a Sunday afternoon, but it's Tuesday morning. I have places to be. What I'm really saying is, you know what my kids love when I say, when like old people are driving really slow, I'll be like, why are they driving so slow? Don't they know death is chasing them? (laughs) (laughs) So, but what what I'm really saying is, doesn't this person who I'm never going to meet, doesn't, don't they know how important I am now on the drive back? Someone's riding my tail and I go, you know what? We all got places to go, buddy. You know, you're not that important. What am I really saying is, don't you know who I am, right? You're Mike Burr. Right. I mean, get your act together. Maybe you wouldn't be such in a rush all the time, you know, and so angry like Wade, you know? I mean, what's the problem? And so I I'm always trying angry. to justify, I mean, a lot of this theologically is I'm trying to justify myself with this kind of righteous anger at everybody else, which is just a form of self-centeredness. And, uh, and then that, like your, your connection to vocation is then, um, A, I don't see that as a, as a person, I don't see them as a neighbor, but in their job too, if someone's frustrating me, the, the waiter's not doing a very good job. Um, I said, this is just a waiter. How hard is this? Right. Right. And I don't and see the value of that. You're, of that seeing, you're seeing someone as part of a people group, not a neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just the big SUV driving Republican. That's just a waiter. You're not seeing the person. No. And he gives that when he's given the example of being in the checkout line at the store and it's really busy and he says, and you're. You look at the, how repulsive most of them look and how stupid and cow-like and dead-eyed and non-human they are. And this is where he's and talking about... And that is usually what I'm thinking when I'm looking at people. <laughs> right. No, well, this is the... So he says this is our default position. But his point is that we choose to do that. That's a choice we're making. And he's and he actually, I think this is this is where... And really he's saying the choice there is we're not making a choice. We're choosing this not is our to make default. a choice. Right. Think, right. But, but we, we do have the choice. The yep. choice is there... We're choosing not to, right? I mean, that, yeah, that's that's fine if you choose not to decide. Still, um, the, that's very right. That's Sartre, isn't it? No, no, that's like uh, who sings that song? It's a song. No, but Sartre. Oh yeah, yeah, too, I yeah. Assume, yeah. I was just quoting a you know 1980s rock lyric. Yeah, because so. I use this, that Sartre line when I do my uh, bit about Sartre and Nietzsche working a suicide hotline. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where they get fired. No, but so he says. He says you don't. You know, you see it and. We can look at that and say, like, but they do look cow-like. They do look non-human. I mean, why do people, you know, for our British listeners, why do they queue up and then stand there like cows? 
why would you do that? This seems like, I mean, you can be so like incensed by that. And like for me, going to Walmart is one of the one of the most soul sucking experiences. Uh-huh. Um, walking around this huge, so mega, <laughs> this huge mega store where people are just you know milling about, filling their carts with stuff, and I just uh, I just can't wait to get out of there. And I love Walmart for all the great things it gives me, and I go there because it's you know cheap and it's wonderful. But it's uh, I look at the people, and that's. That's a choice that I make. And what he's saying is that you don't have to. I mean, he's, maybe they, maybe that's what they are. But the point is that if you're freed from that bondage, you can make the choice. You get to decide how you're going to look at them. And when you look at the lady who just screamed at her child, you know, instead of judging, maybe you, maybe there's something else going on, as you were just saying. Well, like, and Walmart's and a perfect example of that because especially... Um, you know, sort of in, we live on the outer edge of Milwaukee, you go to Walmart and it really is like every ethnicity and every class <laughs> yeah, is true. all there all the time at once. And you go, I don't see these people in my regular day to day life and they don't see me. And, um, you as a snobby nose Wawatosi and I could see right. how Walmart you guys even would just have a be terrible. <laughs> But it's yeah. also. I think you guys all had one. to go to like Trader I, Joe as a condition of living. <laughs> I go to um, I go to the Walmart in uh, New Berlin though, so uh, that's the closest one. To but where you, I, live. I mean, you choose to see instead of you saying that's that is a first gen- generation immigrant family that is loading up on whatever <laughs> after working, you know third shift and then probably for 12 hours. You know what I mean? And uh, they're trying are, to learn you English. You choose <laughs> to, you, you choose to say, um, th- there's something else going on here. I wish I knew their story because I bet you their story is much more complicated, much more fascinating than mine. And maybe I wouldn't judge that they're, you know, buying whatever cheap throwaway stuff. Right. Well, and so, I mean, Wallace actually goes into this and he gives some like alternative readings of different situations. Right. And then he says, that's probably not the case, right? But that's not his point, and this is where I think that it's. This is the hardest part, I think, to. For me to communicate to people of what I appreciate about someone like Wallace is he says, "Please don't think that I'm giving you moral advice or that I'm saying how you're that that you are supposed to think this way." He says, "That's not what I'm doing." He says, "If you are aware enough to give yourself a choice, you can choose to look at this at this what fat, dead-eyed, overmade-up lady who just screamed at her kids in the checkout line differently." And his point is that. You can have that choice, and I think for for us, we immediately start looking at it, you know, in, in a theolog- through a theological lens, and we say, okay, yeah, so th- you know, we should do this. This is how we should treat our neighbor and things. I don't. Wallace isn't even saying that, and there's value in what Wallace is saying, even without that. That you're giving up something of yourself yep. as a human being by by not giving yourself that choice, and your education, if you've been, you know, well educated gives you this choice. It gives you this opportunity to become more fully human in a way that um, I think he's he's in struggling to communicate to people that only can see glimpses of it. It's kind of, um, think about it in uh, Plato's analogy of the cave. It's like the shadows, right? Everything's yeah. always in shadows. It's not clear. And he's trying to communicate what this is. Um, but I think it's important to understand Wallace isn't saying this is how you should act. And you can make the argument. I think there are plenty Although of arguments. Although he does say this is an example of not how well, to yeah, do it. Yeah. Th- well, he says don't think like that because that is, you're not giving yourself the choice. Yeah, you're, sure. f- you're falling back sure. on the default. Right. But that doesn't mean that the default, the that the judgment in the default moment is incorrect or that mm-hmm. you shouldn't choose that. But you're not choosing it if it's your default. Which you is, need to be able to free yourself up to first make that choice and then you can 
then you can authentically make it if we're going to use it. And as you said, that's, that's, that has value and it's fair enough. I mean, he's not saying, okay, now what you choose to say is, is we're not talking about if that's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. We're just saying, um, don't be a slave to this. Right. Default position, and this is where, which I mean, has value. So, I mean, this is, this is where people get so frustrated with postmodernism because it's like, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's just freeing yourself to this. Just, you know, it's not right or wrong. It's just freeing yourself. To, but there is value there. And if you can't see that value, um, you gotta, you gotta work a little harder at it. You gotta really struggle to see that. Now that doesn't mean that in the end as a Christian, you don't say, well, but, but there is a, a right way and a wrong way to do this. Mm-hmm. But you have to come to that first. This is it reminds me, Wade, of that episode we did really early on, um, stepping outside the yep. fortress, and where we where we kind of in, you know encouraged our listeners, you know, we should be open to reading things and being exposed to things outside of our fortress. The fortress keeps us safe, and it's a good thing. But there's a lot out there that we can learn from, and this reminds me that we have to step outside of it in order to to in a more authentic way be able to make our own decision. Yep. And I think that's true. I mean, in Christianity, and especially for us as confessional Lutherans too, if if you know our how we view the world and 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 those in it is always just default setting, then we're really not confessing or we're really not choosing um, you know Christ in the way of Christ in that moment. We're just uh falling back on whatever our default has been ingrained in us, and that's not necessarily the healthiest way to do Christianity either. Um, maybe if we can move on to just to make sure we get to it. Um, why don't we move on to the worship section and, and maybe either of you, if you have um, your thoughts on when he did talk about that. I think uh, he's not making a case for Christianity per se, but I think he is making something that um, Luther's explanation of the first commandment kind of, there's some resonance there between the two, even if if Wallace is not coming at it um, from, you know, an angle of trying to advocate for Christianity. Yeah, I mean, you, you're, we'll get to that in a second because... You, you're always going to have a God. And, and I think the worship aspect there is just, <clears throat> we're something different as human beings. Um, you know, we have wonderment. Um, we're self-aware. Um, we're, we're aware of other people and at least the possibility that they see us in a certain way, that kind of stuff. But we're also... We're social creatures. Social. We, we, we understand that they're, we were created for something bigger. And I think you can't get away from, well, you can't get away from philosophy. You can't just say, well, philosophy is dumb. I'm not a philosopher. Well, you're going to have a worldview thought about it. It's just a matter if you've done it well or not. In the same way, I think you are going to worship. You're going to make something your God. That God may be you. That God may be then manifested into things like power, sex, money, or whatever. But there's always going to be something that's very important that drives your thinking, drives your desires, however you want to put it, that's going to take hold of you. And then, of course, his warning there of making these, this, this thing a god is that it'll kill you, yeah. right? It'll eat you up. And um, I, it's very profound that just one-liner after one-liner, yeah. and maybe we should just go ahead and read that, uh, that one-liner of if, you, if power is your thing, then you're always going to feel uh, weak. Yeah, Before so I forget, though, the, the checkout thing reminded me of something. You know what I used to threaten my kids with that Trisha used to hate that I would say in the store? I would say, you might as well call social services now because I'm going to beat you. <laughs> and she didn't like when I would say that. Yeah. She didn't. Because huh? in Michigan, social services is who comes to take your kids away. Yeah. I think it's CPS here. Is that what it is? Or 
Why are you looking at me? <laughs> I'm assuming they've been called before, but but I that usually worked with them pretty well too. But. That, that was awkward. Uh, do you have that paragraph? <laughs> yeah. Do you have that paragraph so, ready? He starts it off by saying um, that there's that in the adult life there's no actually no such thing as atheism. He says there is no such there's no such thing as as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice is what you get to worship. And then skipping down a little bit, he says, and this is what I think you were getting at. If you worship money and things, if they are if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth in front of our daily consciousness. And I wonder that we're creating the image of God no, made for drama for something great that without maybe first the baptismal you are this is who you are your identity is righteous and then also vocation here's your here's your purpose that has a divine aspect to it i don't think you're ever going to be satisfied with work i don't think you're ever going to be satisfied with anything at all uh, you know and i think that helps to put that into theological terms there. Well, and I think it, it's something, you know, it's interesting with this, how, and sorry, Peter, I'll let you no, go next, but how much of this comes out with just themes that we hit on or others are hitting on? Uh, Dave Zoll, um, our friend from Mockingbird, has a great new book out, Seculosity, and it kind of gets at how um, nothing will ever be enough. And so, you know, Wallace here definitely isn't coming from like a Genesis 1 image God, of God mm -hmm. point of view. But once again, he's as a diagnostician, he's on to something very true about human beings. And this came out in our Law and Gospel as a Lens for Life series, too. I mean, how often we, did we find ourselves going back to people imbue, they will find something to imbue with religiosity, whether that be ideology and politics, whether that be, you know, the next gadget, um, whether that be a hope for the future with medical science. And so, I mean, I think he definitely is onto something that even the atheist, some of the most religious people I know, as far as zeal, are are atheists. And so, I think he's onto something important there. And Peter, I know you had something probably more helpful to say. No, I, I was trying to say that if you if you strip away religion as an answer, and and I mean that in, in a more organized sense, um, and you say what is what is David Foster Wallace getting at here? I think it makes what he's saying makes perfect sense within the Lutheran worldview. Yep. And I, I say that because he says, wait a second, all we have left, if we, if we, chase, if we chase something like, like money, we worship that, or we worship our beauty, right, that it's going to let us down. And, the um, grass withers and the flower fades. Right. And, and we know this, and, and in a way that's, that's a very depressing thing that he's saying, and we would quickly come in and say, exactly, that's why our treasure's not here, right? This is why we need to, our focus needs to be, you know, outside of ourselves and this is how we can do this but for someone who is who's not a christian to recognize this or i'm not saying that wallace isn't a christian necessarily but like to recognize this outside of the christian paradigm and it's specifically the lutheran paradigm and then to say so what do we have left what is the hope here we have kind of got two options as I, well, three options. First, we can say, I'm not even going to pay attention to it. I'm going to go back to what Wallace calls the default, and I'm just going to be what I am and not worry about it and not be thinking about Heated it. Heated right? seats in Netflix. Right. Heated seats in Netflix. Perfect. The other, another option would be to say, this is terribly depressing. This is a dark and lonely place, and there's nothing, you know, I mean, 
There's there's nothing nothing here. And worth. I think that's something Wallace struggled with. Absolutely throughout his life, no, right? and I think this is this is why. I mean, when you recognize, but this is real. This isn't this isn't inauthentic depression, right? right? I mean, like right. that you should you should be depressed about that. Yep. And then the 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 third option is to say what I think he's trying to do here is say the whole trick is keeping the truth up in front of daily consciousness to recognize that this is a daily struggle, that there is something more here that we get to make this choice. And that choice itself, I'm going to hold on to, I'm going to latch onto that because I can see myself from outside, even just for a glimpse, even if just for a moment. And that itself is important because that's something that's human. Now we can say we see ourselves from the outside because we see ourselves washed in Christ's blood. And therefore we see ourselves as Christ sees us, even though when we look inside, it's terrible, right. and we our think, whole, "How does anyone our see whole us identity this way? and salvation is extra no in right. Lutheranism?" Yeah, right. But you take that you take that answer, that view away, and Wallace gets to the nub here. He gets right to the heart of it, and then he gives us he gives us the he's trying to give us hope. You know, he's trying to give us something to latch onto. And I would say what he's doing is he's saying this is this is what it means to be human, and it is so hard. It's so difficult to actually be human. There's there's a lot of you know, human value talk here and even self-esteem. And so if you, let's say you connect yourself to, to the body, I'm going to be in shape, I'm going to eat well and, and beauty. Um, you're always going to feel ugly. The, the only way to combat that is just keep telling yourself that you're beautiful or to keep telling yourself that I would be, I would be a better manager if I had better employees or I would be happier if these people weren't idiots. I mean, you just you're kicking the, the accusation that really should be against yourself out to somebody else. And you're lying to yourself. And I think maybe he would say this, that eventually, you know, you got to realize that maybe you're the problem mm-hmm. yeah. and this is the struggle. And this Avenue is, is your default and you're not thinking as much as you're telling yourself that you're smart and that you're thoughtful and that you're righteous and that you're moral you're you're not that's just the default selfishness and i think this is where i enjoy using this with people in their late teens and early 20s because i kind of joke with them you know and i'll say like now you can be you know part of your identity is whatever sport you play your athleticism or your singing voice or the instrument you play or um you're young and attractive you know but one day you're going to be me or some version of me and you know, I used to love playing church ball, and look at me. I, I can't play church ball anymore. Um, or you're going to lose some of your skills. Or you're going to lose some of your memory. Or you want to be the smartest. There's always going to be someone smarter. And that idea of, um, you know, what he's getting at is all of those things become self-worship, um, and you need something outside of yourself. You need something bigger to draw you out of yourself. And I think that's where this becomes... And all of what we're doing is we're reading Lutheran themes into this, mm-hmm. right? And But to be fair, that's a very postmodern thing to do. The text doesn't belong to the author. It belongs to us. Right. Um, but I think that's where this essay or commencement speech is so helpful um, because it's nice to see, as we talked about in that episode, what was it, two or three early on, mm-hmm. um, to step outside the fortress and to recognize these as themes in humanity um, I think it's important for us as Christians and those of us who are as Lutherans to be able to see that what we see as the essential problems that humanity has to grapple with aren't things that have only been identified by reformers or biblical prophets, um, but they're things that when human beings are honest, 
Um, and here in this case, human beings in the Western tradition are honest. Uh, they recognize these tensions. And right here, I think we see in the West, there's always been the struggle of the individual and the group, right? Um, which is it? And uh, in the West, you have traditions of both. And I think what Wallace is trying to say is you're, you are an individual, but you're also among others, right? And and how do you strike that balance? How do you um, live meaningfully uh, within that? And so he says this is not some Dr. Laura finger-wagging, you know, moralizing, but it is, uh, as he says towards the end, um, the capital T truth is about life before death. Yeah, he says none of this stuff is really, just to be fair to authorial intent, even though it's our text, it's not, we get right. it. But he says that this stuff is, is really, a, none of this stuff is really about more morality or religion or dogma or big fancy questions of life after death. The capital T truth is about life before death. And so he's talking about how do we live right now? Yeah. And it's really easy for us to see that and say, well, what's going on? This is, you know, I mean, like the, it is always about, you know, in a sense, you know, I'm but a stranger here, you know, all the, but what he's saying is it's right here. And as Lutherans, we can, we can embrace that statement and say, no, it is about that. We are, we're here for a reason and it's not some grand reason that we need to figure out and, you know, fulfill. It's that it's the most mundane, petty things as he talks about. Yeah. That's where we can find. And he says, this is where we find freedom. So he says, you know, th that is real freedom, being able to do that. And I think to find another, you know, way for the Lutheran camel to get its nose in the tent. Hmm. Um, I mean, when we talk about Christian freedom on the podcast, that's part of what we're talking about is being freed from yourself to actually see your neighbor and yourself um, from a context other than self-absorption or, or arrogance. Um, anything you guys have, final thoughts, closing thoughts uh, on that? I'd just say, I mean, he the way he ends it then, to come back to his, his parable, is he said, it's so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over again, this is water, this is water, this is water. We don't, it's the, it's the things that we don't see that are always there that we, that we, t that we miss, right? Yep. That's the part that he's, that he's really kind of hammering at and really trying to drive us at. Be aware of that. Your education frees you to do this. And, you know, we would argue that our baptism frees us to do this, right? Yeah. So, you know, when I'm having a terrible day the other day and I warn Mike, I'm in a bad mood, but maybe parents, a way to think of it. Um, you've had your day and you bring your day home and then you see your child and you're thinking of your child in the context of the day you've had. Um, Wallace is kind of saying to be able to step back and just see your child um, or to see your spouse or to see your roommate um, or your friend. Uh, and I think that's where these are helpful contact points um, that it's, you know, it's a 20-minute listen on YouTube, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, pr print it out, and it looks like about 14-point font. It's about 10 pages, but a, an interesting contact point to see and uh, I'm hoping as we, we have coming up here, I've sent a couple PDFs to the guys for us to be able to kind of read some stuff together and talk about it so that we may have a few episodes like this. And I get it might not be everybody's cup of tea. Everybody has different episodes that they resonate with. Um, but to be, a look at, to be able to look at some stuff that maybe wasn't necessarily written by theologians um, but helps us to, uh, to think about things theologically in a way that maybe we wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, and I think finally, uh, we too often want to uh, take Jesus um, 
our encouragement not to be of the world and we forget about um, being in the world hmm. sometimes and that's knowing uh, the current poets of the time and being able to engage and say like we've done here uh, here's same poets yeah you're, you're just saying poets for like people in general in yeah general. people in general creators creators that's all it means the, the influencers couch, yeah um youtube influencers is what i really meant <laughs> um but to see okay here's this person's talking about and it's not in theological language and in fact some of the things that he would say would be red flags but when you think deeply about it you see somebody who is really talking about the same things that the christian church is talking about and to be able to translate maybe yeah um and that that's helpful in how you see the world but how you also engage people in the world. Yeah, and I think if you think of the Gospels especially, so often when Jesus stops for something that his disciples wonder why he's stopping for or he talks to or sees the person that others wouldn't notice, um, and especially when he does so kind of as a rebuke to the religious who are overlooking these things, um, we can kind of read that and almost hear uh, this is water. <clears throat> this is water, right? This is, uh, And so I think there's there's something helpful in that as well. Well, we talked about this is water. Um, once again, if you're looking it up, it's David Foster's Wa- David Foster Wallace. Uh, this is water is 2005 Kenyan uh, commencement address. But unless you guys have anything else, I think we can probably make our way to Benos to sub- celebrate the. Uh, what are you going to get, Peter? I'm going to get a burger with an egg on it. Nice. What are you going to get a drink? Probably a Milwaukee beer. Milwaukee River beer, West Mike. Water and kale. I think they would uh, have that at Benos, right? Uh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Do they have a vegan? We'll check, we'll check do they have a we vegan there. menu there? I'm not sure. I, I don't I'm think sure they so. Hamburgers, West Dallas hamburgers is, with eggs are vegan, aren't they? West had, Dallas I, is kind of a vegan vibe there. I had a pretty nice run uh, of because you know I thought it might help me lose weight, which clearly it's done. Um, of no alcohol, no beer, and so uh, I've decided with friends every once in a while and go out have have a beer. You know what I'm gonna get? I'm gonna get a hacker shore. Nice. Uh, I feel like that's a good beer to have with you guys. Yeah. And you celebrate our hundredth episode. And Make you sure are, that's, a, that's a vice, right? Yeah. You are free to do so. Well, thank you. So tonight we will let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get in my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drink. I say I'm up another round.